0: Hello and welcome to Women with Balls, where I, Katie Balls, speak to today's trailblazers. This is a special panel edition of the podcast brought to you by Lloyds Banking Group. The financial shock from coronavirus is predicted to be with us for years to come. Already, it's having a direct impact on household finances, with Resolution Foundation research finding that 68% of UK households that have had their finances affected by coronavirus are experiencing a reduction in income. Of that, 23% of households are using savings to cover living costs. But what if you don't have much in the way of savings in the first place? To many, lifetime savings can seem a distant concept. Whether it's saving money for a deposit for a home, a crisis you haven't yet foreseen, or your pension, often these endeavours get overtaken by events. Four out of ten adults have less than £500 pounds in savings to cover an unexpected bill, while only one in four working age people have enough in savings to cover three months' income. Savings can be a particular issue for women. Statistics from Scottish Widows' 2019 Women and Retirement Report found that women are more likely to earn between ten to £20,000, more likely to not know how much they are saving, and more likely to feel as though they are not preparing adequately for retirement. These issues can be particularly acute for divorcees, mothers who take time out for their children, self-employed and renters. But as coronavirus brings to the fore concerns over financial insecurity, is it time to reconsider what we save and how we do it? The aftermath of coronavirus could present an opportunity to get a better sense of control over our savings and for industry and politicians to pave the way for a more flexible approach. So to discuss the current hurdles and how to make the best of the uncertainty we find ourselves in, I am joined by Mims Davies, Minister for Employment. Mims had planned to stand down in the 2019 election owing to family pressures, but happily managed to move to a seat where her children are primarily based. Lord Willits, president of the Resolution Foundation and Conservative peer. Under his watch, the Resolution Foundation has come up with a number of eye-catching policies to fix intergenerational unfairness, including giving every Brit £10,000 when they turn 25, a suggestion the government is yet to take up. And finally, Emma Watkins, annuities director at Scottish Widows. Um, To begin with, Emma... This may seem like a strange time to be talking about lifetime savings in the sense that people are worried about their immediate financial future due to coronavirus. So why is this still relevant?
1: Sure. So I actually think in the current environment, with uncertainty around financial markets, employment, and our ability to meet the associated cost of living, talking about lifetime savings is more important than ever. I think we all need to recognise that particularly during uncertain times, many people have a balance. They have to balance competing demands when it comes to saving for the future, whether that's saving up for a deposit, as you mentioned, Katie, contributing to retirement savings, or perhaps particularly relevant right now, having a pot of emergency savings for a rainy day. When I talk about lifetime savings, I'm talking about those savings that we accrue over the course of our lifetime, inevitably to ensure that we have a good standard of living when we retire. But we also believe that that pension saving should incorporate some flexibility to help people, for example, to fund a deposit on the first home or indeed when there is financial hardship.
0: And just before I bring in the rest of the panel, Emma, could you just explain the specific hurdles that women can face when it comes to saving?
1: we've done some lifetime savings work and our research found that easy access pensions could encourage a million more women to save adequately for retirement so many young women and by that i mean those aged under 30 who have a pension say they don't save as much into it as they'd like because they want ready access to money in case of emergencies easy to relate to in the current environment And then many more women would start saving into a pension if they could have the option to access some of their savings should they need it. But why is that important? At every age, on average, men's savings outpace women's. And as you allude to, Katie, that could be for a number of reasons. The gender pay gap, women taking maternity leave, choosing to work part-time, or even divorce. The gap widens as savers reach their 40s. Then in their 70s, men's savings reach an average of almost £130,000 compared to women who have just less than £50,000. We genuinely believe that building greater flexibility into pension products would help kickstart a new wave of young female savers while helping boost the amount that those already saving are putting aside.
0: David, the reality is a lot of people don't currently have savings. So while statistics suggest things have improved, four out of 10 adults have less than £500 in savings to cover an unexpected bill. And only one in four working age people have enough savings to cover three months income. It's harder to save money if you're on a low income. And it tends to be the young who are the poorest savers. Why do you think that is? Your think tank has done a lot on the struggles younger generations face.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is because of all the pressures that young people face, especially, of course, they tend now to be inexpensive rented accommodation and much more of their wages go on rents and housing costs than they used to. But I agree, we've now got to help make them save. And for younger people in particular, flexibility is really important. Being told at the age of 20 or 25 that you've got to put money away, that you're not going to be able to touch until you're 65, is a much bigger ask than if you say, you'll also be able to draw on that pot of money, for example, to put down a deposit when you buy your first flat. So I very much agree with the Scottish widow's agenda. I think. Putting some flexibility like that into our pension system would help young people and would actually improve their incentives to save.
0: Mims, some people might be listening to this thinking, well, that's fine, I'm just going to wait for my state pension and see what the government will do. But firstly, I think some people will be surprised at the the amount they get given by the state. And also, we don't know what the age is going to be. We recently had a think tank suggesting that the state pension age be raised to 75. That's something the government has not said they're planning to do. But there is this concern it could get further and further away, which is why it feels it's very important to have your own private saving plan, as well as what the government might do. But in that vein, what role should the government play in all this? I mean, should the government be more hands on in addressing the issue of women taking career breaks?
3: Well, I feel like I'm on a bit of this is your life listening to this as a as a woman who at 40 came into parliament I was a returner I'd been a carer I'd been a sandwich carer I'd been self-employed for part of my career and I certainly do not feel that I've got the the preparations that I need and so listening to this if I could rewind back to my 20s I'd certainly want to have that flexibility to know that there is something worth doing between 20 and 25 as as they David said, which could help me through the stages of my life and certainly getting divorced and all of those things has happened to me. So I definitely think there's an individual responsibility that we all have here. But there's also a huge amount that the government is and should be doing to encourage people to take their responsibility and start to plan and think about their retirement. But as David said earlier, when you're worried about paying your rent, it's really difficult to think about, you know, how how does the future look? So I think we've not got a job for life now. We've got a lifetime of jobs. We've got people that job pivot, that butterfly, people that are able to set up their own businesses and and work really differently to the way that perhaps uh, many of us have seen our careers. And the government has seen 10 million employees automatically enrolled into the pension workplace And that's brilliant because this means that 1.6 million employers have met their duties. But this helps people to start thinking about themselves, about how they want to see their retirement and how they want to see their pension look. Because without that prompt, I just don't think people are going to do it. There's more to do. And we need to make sure, and we're doing this with our pensions bill, with the dashboard, which will come along with it, where you've got different pots of money in different places and you can see how this builds up. We, we need to do more about this. And I think the government very much accepts that. We've got the pension schemes bill currently going through and this is going to entirely change the pension market. And I think it will hopefully see some better reforms for, for millions of people because we really need to encourage individuals and the government to work better together.
0: Emma, how much of an issue are lost pensions? Mim's mentioned there this dashboard the government will be bringing in. But if you've been between jobs, perhaps spent a few months here and there, a few years, you won't have mass pots of pension money there. But at the same time, it's very easy to lose track of where everything is is that is that an issue when it comes to women's savings
1: yeah i suspect it is we know that more women than men work part time typically those roles will be in retail where they are very transferable and so it's quite likely that it's an issue that affects more women than men now I don't know that the UK population are aware, but it's actually typically the individual's responsibility for making sure that they tell the pension providers, the trustees of their pension schemes, if they move and where they're moving to. And while we're seeing many pension schemes winding up and settling pension benefits, it's incredibly important that people do that. Now, clearly, not everyone is going to think when they move house, the pension scheme needs to be informed of that action. And that's where I think the pensions dashboard will be incredibly useful to people when they come to retirement age in terms of being able to bring all of those pension savings together. Because lots of small pots genuinely can add up into something that might make a difference.
2: I mean, I wanted to follow up on what Mim said, because the success of auto enrollment is really good news. As she said, 10 million people now auto-enrolled in pensions. And that means we have got a framework in place. And I think the way forward is to say, we have now got this incredibly valuable working success in public policy. How do we extend it? How do we do more with it? And that could involve crediting into it, Some of the groups that we're asking about and wondering about today. So it could be a credit for carers, for example. And it could also involve giving people a bit more flexibility, make it easier for them to borrow against the money in their personal pension pot, enable them to draw on it in certain circumstances. So the way I see it is it's the next stage after the the success of this policy we've now got.
0: Just on that, David, I just want to check. So... Clearly, there's been some progress recently. auto enrollment is a success story, and this dashboard should be helpful in terms of lost pensions. But I do get the sense, perhaps amongst many of my peers, that they just feel as though the system is in a way rigged against them. The pension seems very far away. You've previously argued that the next generation has to pay extra pension contributions to plug deficits because we took pension contribution holidays. So I was wondering, could you explain the issues around intergenerational unfairness on on the current pension system?
2: Yes. So what's happened is there used to be those generous company-run defined benefit pension schemes, and many of them have been in deficit, and they've also closed to new members. That means that there are younger workers working for companies who the revenues they're helping to generate are going in to plug the deficits in company pension schemes, which they're not even members of, which have been closed to new entrants. And we did a bit of work on this at Resolution and we showed indeed that one of the pressures pulling down earnings, not massive, but with an effect, was... Company pension schemes, deficits being plugged out of revenues generated by workers, and young people weren't even ever going to benefit from this. So it was holding down their wages. That's why we do have a particular obligation to look at ways in which we could help them. For example, higher rates of contribution into your auto enroll pension from the government if you're under 40 to help build up a bigger pension for the younger generation.
3: Mims, what do you think about that? I think there's absolutely a role for government to use all the tools that it has. We're going to pick up the challenge at some point if we, we can't support people to, to earn more. But there's a great way of helping people to progress, and that is to remind people to progress. And I think being able to move on with your career and build your career and recognise that that can be beneficial to you... And and your pension is really really important, so I think saving isn't a popular thing anymore, not enough people are doing it. We need to make as I think David described really well, the link between your benefits in the future and, and, you know, perhaps not living quite the lifestyle that you want to do now. And part of that is using the opportunity to, to progress. And I don't think women are in the position necessarily to use the opportunities to progress. And we need to build this in to how women have a better retirement in particular, because savings do stem from having that job and that career and building on that, having the confidence to build on that. Now, lots of people don't have the single career. The reality is we've got to build in saving into the changes in their career as well. And this is something that we need to instil and work together on for sure.
0: Emma, do you agree with what MIMS says? You yourself have taken career breaks to have children and has that affected your lifetime savings plan?
3: Yeah, so
1: for risk of oversharing, I entered the workforce at 21. I didn't start saving into a pension until a number of years later. Like many others at that age, I guess I had concerns around paying back student loans, paying my rent, saving enough to buy a house, not to mention having some savings for that unexpected bill. I married I divorced, I subsequently married again, I had children, and you're right Katie, during those maternity leaves, and for some time after actually, while I was paying for childcare, I stopped paying into my pension. My partner did not. A few years ago I divorced again, in neither of those divorces were pensions discussed or taken into consideration in the settlement. I now find myself with a relatively smaller pot than I did envisage to take me into retirement, Referring to Mims earlier comment about building up a career, I have managed to do that. But unfortunately, and it's fairly unfortunate, but also very fortunate, I'm lucky enough to have a career that pays me enough that that I get hit by the tapered annual allowance. So even though I've built up my career over the years, I'm now in a position where I still can't pay as much as I would like to into my pension scheme. I just find it rather ironic. But I'm in the pensions industry, yet throughout my life I've fallen into some of the common bear traps that cause the pension gender gap that we're referring to.
0: Emma, divorce can be a particular issue for savers who are women. Can you explain why that is?
1: Yeah, so I think it's fair to say pensions are probably only second to the family home in terms of the valuable assets that need to be considered on divorce. Yet there's a general lack of knowledge around the legal considerations of access to pensions during a divorce, the upshot of which is that women are typically left out of those negotiations. Indeed, our research revealed that almost half of women have no idea what happens to pensions when couples get divorced, and only a fifth say they would even discuss them. And there's a lack of legal advice on this topic. Even where there's a legal advisor, they might shy away from the subject as they're not sufficiently clued up on the process. So the industry is reacting to this and lawyers are looking to upskill, but we still have a long way to go. Um, And in my view, the inclusion of pensions in divorce proceedings should be compulsory.
2: On divorce, let me make one simple point, which is, of course, many defined benefit pension schemes carried with them rights to pensions for widows, for example, and therefore all this divorce issue is very relevant. One way of protecting yourself from the risk of divorce is these personal pension pots, they are your money. That is your personal wealth. So we shouldn't forget that in a way, the system itself is gradually individualising.
0: So I'm keen that we try and have an uplifting note, though. I have to say in doing this podcast, I'm starting to doubt my own pension plans or lack thereof. But before we get to that, I just want to talk about briefly other vulnerable groups when it comes to people who will find it harder to save. And renters is a key key area here so saving is harder when you earn less as we've discussed several times but scottish widows estimate that the average renter needs to save an extra 525 pounds a month on top of their current pension contributions david the resolution foundation had a slightly worrying report quite recently that up to a third of millennials look set to be renting from cradle to grave so do you think there's a specific offer the government or industry needs to make to renters or, or needs to take into account because it can seem as though the system currently isn't really tuned in for that.
2: Yeah, and there are big transfers now from younger renters to older baby boomers. And let's, let's face it, often those rents paid by the younger generation are part of the pension income of the older generation. That's how the transfer is now working. And the rents that a young person pays a money that in the past would probably have been a mortgage. So you'd be building up a an asset and in the long run, hoping not to have mortgage payments as you paid it off. So yeah, I think we do need to help young people. It's hard specifically to identify renters as a group. So many young people are renters. As I said, I would, I would do it by helping younger people, incentivizing more strongly saving for them. And that means both looking at whether government and employers could pay up a higher contribution into your personal pension pot if you're young and secondly making it easy for them to use that money that's going in to put down for a deposit to buy. I think that there's still a widespread aspiration among young people to own their own home. A lot of them are frustrated they're finding it so difficult. Using your m- modest pension pot as a security to get the mortgage so that deposits you can get your first mortgage would liberate a lot of people from private renting costs into home ownership which is what if I may say so the Conservative Party as long believed in and we need to give it a new boost.
0: Mims, do you think that the pension system is currently ready on its current trajectory to a situation where, say in 15, 20 years, perhaps a bit longer, a lot of people retiring are going to be in rented accommodation in a way that we're not currently seeing in in current demographics?
3: Yeah, so if I put my Minister for Employment hat on, I'm very concerned about particularly women returners who may have had children later in life, who may have had marital changes, as Emma's described. Described, and may have a significant ati- amount of time still to work. And they're really just getting back on their feet and coming back into the workplace rather than necessarily thinking about long-term financial stability. So we are working with the, the Women's Business Council to develop sector action for those particular sectors where there's the, the biggest gaps in terms of gender pay. And that can be a real issue when it comes to women saving. So retail, financial services, construction, engineering, digital and technology. I think those sectors can, can do better uh, with their employees. I think to David's point about younger people and renters, I think actually we've had 10 years of amazing job growth, obviously a real big blip recently with the, the pandemic. But the reality is younger people coming into jobs are quite choosy. They can actually really look around at the right place for them. You can appeal to younger people with the right skills by having the right opportunities for them in work, but also that long-term chance to, you know, build up some of those lifetime savings that we're hearing from from Emma. So I think everybody has a role to play here. Government, in terms of nudging uh, behaviours, and I think, as uh, David said earlier, the auto-enrolment has been brilliant. And what we're doing as a government particularly is looking at what we call the midlife MOT. Around... 50 and 55 for male and female, people starting to not just look at their health midlife, but people really properly taking the opportunity to think about their futures. And this is starting to work really well with companies such as Aviva really trailblazing on this. And this is really helping government to start to to think about the next stage of how we make sure that people have safe and secure retirements. And also alongside this, a good employment experience as well.
0: And before we move to the final part of this podcast, there's just one other group on the subject in a way of auto-enrolment, which is the self-employed. Emma, what are the unique challenges for the self-employed when it comes to saving for their pension? The figures by Scottish really suggest that this group can do very well at it, but there's also a portion which can really not prepare and potentially have problems later down the line.
1: Yes, I think there are a number of problems facing to the self-employed. One is that typically they're not captured, obviously, by auto-enrolment. And so some aren't putting aside pension contributions for later life. And the other clearly is that many are looking at their business as their pension. We only have to look at the environment we're in today with the COVID-19 scenario and the acknowledgement that many small businesses may not survive this to understand that whilst having your own business is incredibly valuable, it may not be enough to depend on when you come to retire.
0: Now, moving to the final part of the podcast, which is hopefully going somewhere to answering how we can tackle lots of the problems we've raised. And we talked about flexibility of pensions, and ways to put savings away. But Obviously, I think there's always a reason why you're not saving at the time you do, and that can be short term issues. There can be long term ones. I mean, I think for example, we're talking in the middle of a global pandemic, which means I think a lot of people aren't thinking about saving so much as how they might need to use the savings they do have. So, I was wondering, Mims, first, how do you think people should prioritize these demands at different times in their life? We talked about what lots of those demands could be, but to make sure they do keep saving throughout all these changes,
3: I think it's extraordinarily difficult and and, you know my personal experience of my boiler blowing up not this Christmas but last Christmas was a big surprise that my my savings and my rainy day money were you know suddenly cooled on and I think it's really difficult. Picking up on the self-employed challenge we've got the employment rights bill coming shortly which will be the greatest reform of workers rights in over 20 years and that will help to strengthen legislation and make workplaces fair will focus on that lower paid work in the gig economy and support flexible working better. So I think the reality is we're working differently and our government are recognising that in this bill and we also, I think, do need to recognise how we support people to save easier. It's been very clear with this Conservative government that we want to get people on the housing ladder. You can save in an ISA to get your deposit and we're supporting people to to try and get onto that housing ladder. But alongside that, we are recognising that we need to support people with their pensions. And I think there is more to do here. The good news is that we're living longer and hopefully healthier lives, but our retirement savings do have to stretch further. And recognising that we work differently and we'll need to save differently, government's got to come up with some broader answers. And I think we're, we're keen to do that with the pension schemes bill. And it will protect pension savers, And I don't think where we've seen irresponsible bosses not taken to book over behaving badly and people not seeing perhaps whether it was worth saving for a pension. I think that's put off younger people. And I think this pension schemes bill under this government will really help. Because it will encourage people that it's worth saving and that at the end of the day, that's going to be there for you. And once you can see that dashboard in front of your eyes and you can start to properly plan at any stage in your life, that's a huge encouragement.
0: Emma, so the government clearly is working on plans that they think will help people prepare, but from an industry perspective... What role do you think individuals should play, industry and also politicians, when it comes to making sure we are prepared to finance our old
1: age? I think we need to look at a number of proposals collectively. So we need to look at proposals that will encourage people to save more. Um, As we've spoken about earlier, actually, we can encourage people to save or save more by allowing them access to their pensions pots more flexibly, and I genuinely think we need to develop a simplified saving system. So, with that in mind, I think we need to build on the success of auto-enrolment by increasing employer contributions to 10% and employees to 5%, and where savers opt out of employee contributions through auto-enrolment, employer contributions should continue to be paid, In terms of flexibility, we'd like to see savers have the ability to withdraw up to 50% of their pension pot to fund a deposit of up to 10% on their first home to get them on the property ladder. And we'd like to see savers have the ability to withdraw up to £1,000 on up to five occasions from their lifetime savings product when in financial hardship. And then finally, with regards to a simplified saving system, we need to enable retirement advice and mortgage advice to be combined. So making that joint advice cheaper and more accessible to everyone.
0: David, I'd be interested to know whether you think individuals alone can fix their lifetime savings or if we need to have change from industry and Westminster.
2: I think it does require change from industry in Westminster, but ultimately this is about personal choice. And I think that we've got to make it easier and more positive for people, especially women and young people to save. MIMS is right. Good quality, stable employment is a great basis for saving. And the government's proposals for strengthening the regulations there are very much what we at Resolution wanted to see. I have to say, I would also just try to make saving a bit more interesting and give people a better sense of control. Something else that I find frustrating about auto enrollment is how few people then take the opportunity really actively to manage and choose where their pension savings go. That should be a lot easier. Imagine, as we emerge from this terrible virus crisis, imagine if people, if people could see there were infrastructure investment proposals, company fight back funds, things that they could put some of their personal pensions savings into. I think that would increase people's willingness to save if they could see where the money was going rather than just into some big city institution.
0: That's interesting. I was going to ask you if you could, obviously a million dollar question, but any short term fixes? Because I do think often ISAs and pensions can seem quite distant. Whereas quite a lot of my friends have recently got into these investment apps like Nutmeg, where you feel as though you are picking the way your money goes or you have more of an active role. David, do you think if, if we felt more actively involved or updated in what our savings were, we wouldn't just feel perhaps pessimistic. We might actually feel as though we were more involved in choosing what went on with them.
2: Absolutely, I really do think we can learn a lot from some of these online savings products. And that, that's what I was thinking of. It really should be possible for younger people in particular, to get a sense of control, I think the days when you just des- trusted the old company pension trustees, those have gone, it is now, should be a very vivid form of personal property ownership. The reason what people like about home ownership is the sense they've chosen the house, it's where they want to live, they can improve it. There should be a similar sense with your pension and we can learn from some of these online products and to be honest, we can just be a bit more flexible about the way in which auto-enrolment now works to, to give young people more a sense of that excitement.
0: To close the podcast, both to Emma and Mims, I wondered if there are any tips or thoughts you had on how we encourage people to save. Often it can feel as people spending goes on day-to-day living. I think in London, people can pay up to 60% of their income on rent alone. So... What do you recommend? We talked about investment apps. Some are looking at things like fintech. What do you suggest? Emma first.
1: We're starting to introduce for all online bankers and we know that um, many people now are logging on, particularly in, in current situation, are logging on to their online bank to look at balances. So we know people are incredibly engaged with their online bank account. So in line with that, what we're doing at the moment is rolling out anyone that has a Scottish Widows Pension. When you log on to your banking app, you can actually see your pension pot, your Scottish Widows Pension pot alongside that. I think that's incredibly helpful because, you know, most people, frankly, don't think about their pension particularly often, and they'll get the occasional letter that tells them how much they have in their pension scheme. But if you're logging into your online banking app, and you can see and action to increase, perhaps, contributions, to move investments. I think all of that should really, really help people, young people in particular, engage with their savings in a way that David's just outlined.
3: I think the work that you saw before Christmas between Mark Carney and Guy Opperman around pension funds doing more to fight climate change really resonates with younger people. I think that's a great way, to, to David's point, about trying to engage young people in using this money not only for themselves, but also to to do something different. I think that's very appealing. I would definitely say a tip is don't get divorced. (laughs) I I would say that's financially very penalising. But I would say to other women, I've taken career gaps, I've sandwiched cared, I've made decisions which I I thought was right at the time and I wouldn't change them but I've definitely learned from them. The government helps and supports you with childcare now to get back to work so I would really think through how your employment and your career works alongside your savings particularly as, as a woman, as a young person, as someone with maybe caring responsibilities. Try and think about what you want and how your retirement looks. This matters as much as this time in your life as well and I think if I'd known that 25 years ago I'd definitely make some different choices
0: and on that note I think it's a good time to bring this podcast to a close so thank you to Mims, Lord Willits and Emma for joining us today